Good morning. Good to be with you all. Um, as I was thinking about what I should talk about today, I, uh, you know, there's, there's revival in the air. We've been hearing about revival, we've seen revival, we've experienced revival. And so it made me think about another sort of revival that I lived through and experienced, and one that deeply affected me. And this is uh, what's been called uh, the Jesus Movement. Uh, in fact, there's a new movie out uh, called Jesus Revolution, I think it's called, um, that kind of focuses on, I think, this period of time. I have to say think, because I've only seen a trailer for it, so I don't really know what it's about. Uh, it does have Kelsey Grammer, and he and I share a couple of things. One is we're both overweight, and we both have very large heads. Um, <laughs> So, I'm hoping he does well. Um, so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote Wikipedia here, which for all of you, you should know that should be your final source of any information, is Wikipedia. Wikipedia says the Jesus Movement was an evangelical Christian movement which began on the west coast of the United States in the late 1960s and early 1970s and primarily spread throughout North America, Europe, and Central America before it subsided in the late 1980s. So as someone who came through that movement, I thought it would be good to give my personal narrative of what it was like to be a Christian at that time. I became a Christian during that time, and then I lived through that period. Um, so what I'm going to present is largely autobiographical, and for any of you who have been in my classes, you're going, yeah, uh, yeah we, we know that's how you teach. Um, but hopefully, I mean, there might be some here that, that went through that period of time as well, and you have your own stories to tell, which uh, hopefully in what I have to say, they come together to some degree, but you have your own stories as well. So let me begin with my own religious upbringing. I, uh, I was born in Northern California, and according to Wikipedia, that's where the Jesus Movement started. Um, and I was brought up in the Catholic Church. And so my, my father was Catholic, my mother was not, so my, my older brother and I would go to church with my dad, and then uh, once a week we would also go to catechism class, uh, which was held at a local Catholic high school. Um, and so I, I went to catechism for many years. But when I was 12 years old, I uh, left the church. My dad had stopped going for some reasons. And uh, we kept going for a while. And then finally, when I was 12, I stopped going. And I know I was 12 because that would have been the year I was confirmed in the church. And I was, I was never confirmed. So from the, the, age, the ages of 12 to 19, I, I lived uh, a pretty hedonistic uh, lifestyle. Um, my credo, if you have to have a credo, this was my credo, uh, learn from the past, live for the present, and look forward to the future. It's pretty deep, I know. You know, I mean... <laughs> I don't know if my Dr. Peterson is here. He might have some questions about that. But anyway, that was sort of how I lived, right? That's kind of a hedonistic 
sort of way of viewing life, right? You just you just let it let it come and let it go and live for the future, live for the present, look forward to the future. So even though during my formative years, my teen years, I didn't attend church, and I'd largely rejected Christianity. Um, during this period, Jesus was becoming more a part of our culture and counterculture. So even though I was not going to church or anything about that, I was affected by popular culture. And so there were these songs that were these hit songs, right? That were out at the time like uh, Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky. This is a Jewish guy singing about the spirit in the sky who he himself admits he was not a Christian. He just wrote it because it fit the ethos of the time, right? Uh, You had uh, My Sweet Lord, written by George Harrison, former Beatle, sing, it's really more about the Hare Krishnas, but I didn't know, didn't really care. It was My Sweet Lord, and it was on the radio all the time. Uh, The Doobie Brothers, you're right, that's, they were named after Doobies, and um, (laughs) they were, and uh, they sang, uh, Jesus is just all right uh, for me, right? and I just listened to this last night again on YouTube because I hadn't heard it for a while. And I thought, this is pretty amazing, this group that is named after Smoking Dope uh, singing a song about Jesus being all right. And then uh, the one probably really Christian song at that time was from the Edwin Hawkins singers, this black gospel uh, group who sang Oh Happy Day. And it's just such a wonderful song. But this was, so this was all going around in popular culture during that time. I wasn't, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I wasn't, I wouldn't have considered myself a Christian, but these songs and things kept this idea of Jesus alive. In addition to the music, there were these plays, these hit plays that then were turned into movies like Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar, right? That, uh, that also just kept this, kept the person of Jesus in popular culture, you know, at that time. And I, so that was always a question, even though I'd left the church and I, I, I always had this question like, well, who was this guy, right? All these songs were about him, these plays were about him. Um, I don't know who he is, but in addition to what was going on in popular culture, God in his provenient grace kept kind of bringing people into my life that also kept that spark alive within me. And I'll give one example. Let me see, this is the uh, movie. Uh, This is me at 18. (laughs) Yeah, this is about the time I met the guy I'm gonna tell you about. Um, I was working in a gas station in the summer and uh, I had to work until midnight, and I was working with it. I'm going to keep this up for quite a while, by the way. <laughs> one, one, of my, one of my students saw this when I taught undergraduates, and they said, oh, bad hair day, huh? And I said, oh, no. That, that was a really good hair day. Um, So anyway, I, I work in this gas station and I had to work till midnight and you know, I'm like, uh, I guess I was probably 18 years old at the time, 17, 18 years old. And uh, there'd been a guy who came in, a, a biker, 
guy with uh, long hair, uh, leather, you know, I mean, just a biker, right? And he'd been working on his bike for hours and uh, trying, trying to get it fixed. And so um, <laughs> when it would, you know, get around 10 o'clock or so at night, uh, a guy who was actually younger than me that I worked with, uh, but was as hairy as a bear, would go and he would buy beer because he looked older. So he'd buy beer and bring it back and we'd go in the back room and we'd be drinking beer because nothing goes better than drinking beer and pumping gas. I mean, what possibly could go wrong <laughs> with something like that, right? So, so we're drinking beer in the back, you know, and, and this guy's still working on his bike. So I thought, wow, this guy's gotta be so frustrated, right? With uh, just working on this for so long. So I went out to him and I said, uh, hey, I said, would you, uh, would you like a beer? And I just remember he looked at me and he had this smile on his face and he said, no thanks, man, because that's how we talked back then. He said, no thanks, man, I've got Jesus in my heart. And I don't know what else he said to me. I mean, he probably gave me his testimony or something like that, right? But I do know that I saw something in him that I knew I didn't have. And I thought, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna explore this, right, more. And so I went to a Christian bookstore that we had, and uh, I went to buy a Bible. So I'm in this Christian bookstore, and I see there are Bibles, and then there are New Testaments. And I'm thinking, well, I want the new stuff, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, I was, um, I was a modern man, right? I mean, uh, I'm a new guy. And it was so much smaller. It was so short. You know, it was, and I thought, well, they just took out a bunch of the these and thous and stuff you didn't need, right, in that old, that old book, and they made a new one, you know? And I thought, well, that's the one I want. So I bought a New Testament, and uh, I started reading it, but I, I just read it like a book. Right? I didn't know how you read a Bible, and so I just started in Matthew. And of course, what do you get in Matthew? You get the genealogy, right? Starts off, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, who then begat so-and-so, and I thought, I'm not sure what a begat is, <laughs> right? I mean, and you know, so I didn't get very far into it till I realized, yeah, no wonder none of my friends read this, right? This is, uh, this is something that's incomprehensible for people like us. Um, and so I, I kind of went through this period where, like I said, God in his provenient grace kept bringing people along. There was this stuff in popular culture about Jesus. So this, that I just was really interested in this person. And for me, the final straw was going to see the movie Jesus Christ Superstar when it came out. And I remember coming out of that movie theater and thinking, I'm gonna find out who this guy was. Because if you've ever seen that movie, that's really the question of that movie, is who is Jesus, right? You have all these people who are questioning, like, who is this guy? Judas is one of the main characters in that, and he's the one that sings the theme song of Jesus Christ Superstrike. Jesus Christ Superstar, do you know who they say you are, right? Like, come on, man, just tell them you're a man. You know, there was all of these, so I came out of that and I thought, okay, I'm gonna find out who this was. And I, but I didn't know what to do. 
Um, I thought about going back to church, but I thought, no, I did church. That didn't really seem to help. My goodness, I didn't even know the difference between an Old and New Testament, right, kind of thing. So, but I remembered a cousin of mine, and this cousin of mine was, had been a full-blown hippie. You know, not heavy drugs, a lot of LSD they took quite a bit. Actually, he's got a really amazing story of how God used that in his life for him to become a Christian was when he was on an LSD trip at one point. I'm not recommending that to people. I wouldn't use that if you're a pastor in a church, you know, just say, hey, take some LSD, maybe God will speak to you. But that happened to my cousin. And so I, I heard him give his testimony several times about, you know, how God had changed his life um, and going through this. And so I thought, if anybody would know who Jesus was, this guy would know. And so I called him up one night, and, uh, oh my, and, uh, and so I, I, just, I just told him, you know, that I wanted to talk to him about Jesus. And so we went to, I went to his house, and I just asked him these questions, and he had a New Testament. He just opened the New Testament, and he just answered my questions that I had about Jesus until I didn't have any more questions. And that's when I became um, a Christian. I, I, I'm sorry, what, what, quarter till, is that what I have? Okay, so I got a, I've got a few minutes, okay. Anyway, we ended up being, here's my, uh, this is my baptismal picture. Uh, I was not actually emaciated. Uh, it was just that that water was absolutely freezing cold. It was a river, it was a river that had snow melt. So even in the middle of a hot summer, that water was freezing. So coming out of it, I was trying to catch my breath there. A uh, number of us were baptized that day in that river. And, uh, and so, we start, so we were a bunch of young people, and uh, I'll show you a, a picture of them. Uh, this was that day of the baptism. Um, just a bunch of young people. We didn't... We didn't know what, you know, what we're doing, and, and we, we had this Friday night Bible study, and then we realized nobody was going to church, because we all felt alienated from the church. And so we thought, well, we'll start our own church. So we started a house church, and we called it Church in the Park, and we'd meet out in a park during the summer months and during the warmer months of the year, and then we'd meet in a house during the winter, you know, but that was... That's what we did, and uh, you know, we're a bunch of ragtag young people. None of us had been theologically trained. Um, we did have some, some uh, elders who would come every once in a while to do some teaching. So we got things wrong. I mean, we were reading the Bible, and we were trying to live our lives according to what we were learning from the Bible. And so we got things wrong, but one thing we got right in that group was a sense of community. We loved each other and we took care of each other. And believe it or not, I was, I was a telephone lineman at the time. I was one of the richest guys in the house church, right? And so, you know, if people had a need and, and someone else had, had the resources, that, that need was met. There was not gonna be any question about that, right? So it was a really strong sense of community. Um, we didn't know what God was doing really beyond our community uh, very much, 
But what we didn't understand was that God was working in all these other ways. Like, for example, there were house churches popping up all over the country. We didn't know that. We weren't connected to that. We just said, we're not going to church. Let's do church ourselves. That's how we started, right? Uh, it wasn't until later we found out that there were, in Columbus, Ohio, there was a network of house churches in Kansas City, Missouri. There were networks of house churches. But another thing that was going on at that time was among a, some young people that they started a couple of really important short-term mission organizations that affected me and affected thousands and thousands of young people. And this was Operation Mobilization, which is one that I went with, and then Youth with a Mission, uh, or YWAM, right? And they just had a tremendous impact on helping us understand what was going on in other parts of the world. I'll show you my, this, I spent two years on a team in Austria that was uh, traveling behind the Iron Curtain. We were taking Bibles and Christian literature to believers uh, from 76 to 78, I was on that team. And then I joined the Dulos, this is one of OM's ships. And I first joined it in Europe, and then I spent a year on the ship going down the east coast of South America. Well, um, Church in the Park eventually dissolved, right? Because young people, surprisingly, get older, right? And, um, you know, not that I have, but others have. Others that were a part of that church have gotten older. So we started going off and doing different things, right? Some just had, uh, had families, and this is my family. And uh, so we, they had families, they had work that they did, they had different things. People went off in different areas. Some went to seminary, some went to other schools. I went into academia. I'm telling you, that is a miracle in and of itself, but that's another story for another time. Um, so what can we learn from this narrative? And let me just try to sum this up quickly. Like the wind, the spirit moves where, when, and how he will, right? In some cases, it is largely localized, like what has taken place at Asbury and other places throughout the country. Not to say it's gonna stay localized, right? There was a commissioning. Once you're touched by the spirit, we need to go out with that, right? And there's gonna be some great things that come as a result of that. Um, but, and there have been other places where that's taken place and other ca cases like in the one I'm talking about briefly, the Jesus movement, it's a, it's a sociocultural movement that's taking place, right? This is a movement that according to, again, our final authority, Wikipedia, lasted for decades, right? In people's lives. So the spirit moves where it will, and we cannot replicate the work of the spirit on our own, right? We can't, we can't. That's why it's like the wind. We don't know when it's coming. We don't know where it's going. We don't know where it's coming from. But that's the way the spirit of God operates, right? So in the 1990s, uh, the late 1990s, there were kind of these smaller revivals that were breaking out on different college campuses around the country. And, the, and I was teaching at a liberal arts college that had 1,600 students, and when I first got there in 1991, InterVarsity was about ready to close down because there just weren't students that were involved in it. 
I became a faculty advisor for InterVarsity. I didn't have anything to do with what I'm gonna tell you now. They brought in another staff, and in just a few years, there were over 600 students coming to their large group meetings every week. 16, over 600 students out of 1,600. It was absolutely freaking out my non-Christian colleagues. They didn't know what to do about this. They had no idea what to make of this. They tried to say, well, students are being coerced to go to these meetings. What, yeah, what leverage are we using, you know? <laughs> I mean, to coerce someone, you gotta have some leverage, and there was no leverage there whatsoever. Um, but anyway, I had one of these students come to me one, one day uh, from InterVarsity, and she said, yeah, you know, we're really praying for revival. And I just looked at her and I said, what, what do you think is happening here, right? What do you, but for her, revival had to have certain things, you know, for it to really be a revival. We cannot make revivals into these things that are formulaic, right? That's not the way the spirit moves. Spirit doesn't move formulaic. It's not something we can bottle and take places. I was in Columbia during the week of the, one of the weeks of the revival across the street. And when we were there, uh, Dr. Gober was speaking in chapel and some people were telling him, oh, you need to bring some of this to us. And what Gober said, Dr. Gober said in his chapel talk was, it's the same spirit and that spirit is here, right? It's not something we bring, it's not something, we, it's something that's here, and the spirit will move as the spirit wills, right, in these contexts. So maybe always be open to the movement of the spirit of God, whether it's personally, interpersonally, socioculturally, or internationally. Those movements, uh, the Jesus movement, uh, those days had an effect on me that completely changed my life and they've made me the person that I am today, for better or for worse. And just what's happened in the last few weeks across the street and here in Wilmore will affect scores of people for many, many years to come. That's how the Spirit of God works. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you sent us a comforter, that you sent us the Spirit, and that the Spirit is moving among us and changing hearts and changing lives, and, and you move in the ways that you want to move. And I just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is your Spirit is doing among us today. Guide us, Lord, keep us, continue to pour out your grace and mercy and love on us. And we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.